coming up on our hella confusing 20s. We're doing it for the people. We're doing it for the people, and that's why we're going to succeed. All right, here we go. <laughs> or if you've ever lived in L.A., you know what a fucking shithole Van Nuys is, you know? I got 99 problems, but Van Nuys ain't one. Hit me. And even we're like, oh my god, watching Bruce Lee, like we were like, this is why Asians are not fucking progressing in Hollywood. Because <laughs> the motherfuckers that are getting a chance are fucking ass and fucking suck and are not being fucking awesome actors. The more I talk about it, the more I love it. How cool. How cool is that? How fucking cool is that, man? Wow. Wow. You know, without further ado... Let's get into the show. What the fuck is up? Um, am I going to do a podcast right now, dude? It's 11.43 p.m. Do I really want to get into it? The answer is, um, the answer is yes. I, d I do want to get into it because you know what? If I don't do it now, who knows when I'll do it. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of our hella confusing 20s where me, not funny funny guy, Jeremy Griffith, I uh, talk to you about some of the stuff I'm going through, some of the stuff that excites me, and uh, you know, we, we try to figure, we try to figure it out together. We try to figure out the best way forward for you and me, where we can have a positive impact on humanity. And uh, God bless us, you know, God bless us for doing that. Look at that. We're doing it for the people. We're doing it for the people, and that's why we're going to succeed. All right, here we go. <laughs> um, so what I really um, want to talk about this week, I, you know, sometimes I'll have some topics Sometimes I'll just kind of talk about, you know, stuff I've been thinking about and it's just kind of all over the place. But right now, I really just want to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, I'll be honest, I'm having a little bit of a hard time thinking about the spin like, oh, you know, how does that relate to our hella confusing 20s? Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'll be honest, I don't have a, uh, a, a super clear, concise answer. And you know what, maybe, maybe that's what it is right there. You know, the lesson for the week is sometimes, you know, we just got to relinquish not knowing, not having the answers, but we just got to do what feels right and uh, just move in that positive direction. And I'm basically talking a whole lot of shit because I basically just want to talk about the movie. Anyway, here we go. Okay, that was, oh man, that sounded really bad. Hold on a second. I'm going to finish my water bottle very briefly. It's going <laughs> to be back in a jiff. Mm, that good old Mount Franklin water. If you're not from Australia, <laughs> you don't know about that Mount Franklin. Oh, man, in the States, what is it? Crystal Geyser, Arrowhead. Mm, miss those waters. You know, good waters. And uh, you know where they definitely were drinking American water on the set of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, you know, like so many people in this world, I'm a massive Tarantino fan. Um, I mean, Pulp Fiction is like, 
Is that not the greatest movie ever? Definitely one of the greatest movies ever. You know, and I saw fucking Reservoir Dogs when I was a kid and I forgot it. I've never seen Jackie Brown. Um, but I, you know, Django, I, I really enjoyed. And I still think Leo should have won the Oscar for Django, man. He wasn't even nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And Christoph Waltz both was nominated and won it that year. But Christoph Waltz, bro, to me, that character was just kind of like a watered-down rehash of his character in Inglorious Bastards, who, his character in Inglorious Bastards, to me, was fucking phenomenal. Like, he definitely deserved that Oscar in Inglorious Bastards. Fucking, how good was that movie, you know? And Hateful Eight, yeah, I'll admit, I was kind of like, whatever, Ron. Like, I probably would watch it again, just to, like, see what's going on, but... I'm definitely, uh, I'm not the fondest of, uh, of Hateful Eight. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I've just been so excited in anticipation of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it just, it just had, the trailers have looked so good. Um, I was like Uber driving in LA a couple nights and, you know, roads were shut down and I was like, oh, what's going on? Like, oh, they're filming the, the new Tarantino movie. And that's just like, it's so cool to me, that excitement around that. And, um, you know, I, I was reading interviews, I was watching things, you know, but before I saw the movie and it was really just cool to me that, I mean, Quentin Tarantino talked about how a lot of the things they filmed, you know, they couldn't even do it now and definitely not in a few years because a lot of places they were on location, they filmed it, you know, they got the shots and it was torn down as soon as they were done filming. You know, it was torn down the next week. It was built over because Hollywood is such a transient place. There is so much transformation going on. You know, people are coming through. People are leaving. I was there. I was there for four years. You know what I mean? And I'll probably end up back there at some point with Monica. I don't know when, but it definitely it has that quality. And they even there's like even, even a line in the movie where Leo Leo's character touches on it you know like he has hollywood real estate like he's not passing through he's not giving it a try he's not you know just gonna be here and gone the next day he's like he lives here he's in hollywood you know which uh is deaf is it altogether a different thing and um i mean tarantino was talking about you know just wanting to explore that idea of like that fading glory you know, where Leo's character is like, you know, he's based on this type of actor during, you know, the late 60s where, you know, he is a, uh, oh, is he a leading actor? No, the bad guy. So it's like, he'll be the bad guy, but not even in the first movie. He'll be the bad guy in the third remake, you know? So it is that working class, like it is kind of a trip, like how Hollywood really does have, you know, that hierarchy in in that specific way where it's like okay oh this guy is always going to play this kind of roles oh by the time we get to you know the third remake that's going well it's different now today but it's like the third remake where we're going to go straight to dvd all right here's the pool of actors we're going to look at and just how there really is such a specific pool such a specific world of actors and performers for each kind of category of, of what's being produced like, I remember uh, when I was meeting with a potential manager after I graduated from uh, CalArts, he was kind of saying, like, oh, like, you know, if you want to do comedy, it might not necessarily be the best thing for you to try to book Westworld, you know, and have a guest star on that. 
because that's a completely different world. It's not necessarily going to give you any leverage or any progress towards where you want to be going. Like it is such a, there are so many specific things you have to be aware of when you're trying to navigate that. It's like, dude, don't waste time trying to get on Westworld. Just fucking do the comedy thing. You know, work on that, work on getting your show, work on whatever. The right connections, the right exposure, the right blah 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 I mean, and Tarantino talks about how, you know, I guess the, the irony to him of when America was founded, it was this kind of rejection of the British class system. And we were going to do things differently. But, you know, in a lot of ways... America just kind of, well, and Hollywood in particular, invented their own class system. So, you know, people are still relegated to certain roles, you know, certain ways of being thought about, certain privileges. And it was just different, you know, because you have that, that like, you know, that, I guess, fairly successful kind of actor that, that Leo represents. You know, he lives in a nice house, even though he doesn't own it in the movie. But it's still nothing compared to, like, Brad Pitt's character living in a fucking trailer, you know, in Van Nuys. Which, I mean, you know, if you're from, or if you've ever lived in L.A., you know what a fucking shithole Van Nuys is, you know? You, like, avoid Van Nuys, bro. You don't want to be in Van Nuys. (laughs) And if you're listening to this and you live in Van Nuys, yo, I, (laughs) I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but Van Nuys ain't one. Hit me um, but yeah, and then like I mean, Tarantino is talking too about how you know you have these people, which Brad Pitt's character represents, who dedicate their lives to Hollywood, to making movies, you know, and he's a stuntman. But there are other roles too that uh, you know that I guess kind of fall under this category, and they spend their whole lifetime giving to Hollywood, and at the end of the day, they have nothing to show for it, you know. And it was really cool just reading Leo talk about his preparation for the role because he would just watch so many Western TV shows from around 69, like the Dirty Dozen, like movies, Magnificent Seven. Oh, I wrote that. I wrote a note down right here. He's not the bad guy in, in the third sequel. He's the second lead. There we go. The second lead in the third sequel, that kind of actor. That's where he's going to pop up. The right hand man in the third sequel. But just, uh, I don't know. The reason I loved just learning about Leo's preparation so much is it just seems so enjoyable from, you know, someone who is who enjoys acting, who loves movies, just to be able to really explore in that specific way. Like, okay, I'm going to watch this and this and this and just kind of see that history, that trajectory, the styles that are incorporated, the influences. Oh, man, I would love to do that. I would love to have the time. And also the purpose, like, you know, that's working toward a specific project, a specific goal to just be able to sit down and do that. Oh, maybe I will do it myself for an imaginary movie or for like sitcoms. Oh, I should do that for my YouTube stuff I'm working on. Yeah, that's a good idea. There you go, Jeremy. I'll just watch a bunch of silly shit. I don't want to be too specific about it. I don't want to give it away, but I can watch stuff that's similar. It's crazy too, cause like uh, Quentin Tarantino and Brad Pitt are of a similar age, and they grew up watching a lot of the same shit that Leo was too young to have seen. And when they were like eight years old, there was this character on some show called Pete Duel, and both Quentin and Brad 
learned about the idea of suicide from that show when they were that young and they were just talking about how, you know, just the fact that there were so few options to watch everybody really for a specific time, you were all watching that same shit. You were, you know, weaning yourself off the same bottle per se, the same cultural bottle. And so, so many Americans and whoever was watching the TV at the time that wasn't in America learned about suicide at a young age from this show that was in all these families' homes. I mean, there's not really anything like that that has that kind of cultural influence anymore. Where it's like everybody learned about this thing from it or that thing. I mean, you definitely have certain things that impact large swaths of the population, but not, not in that not in the way of, of before, I don't think. I mean, I got, maybe I'm wrong, you know? Prove me wrong, baby. Prove me wrong. Send in some fan mail. You know, get on the podcast and say, Jeremy, you're fucking wrong. Let me take you to town, boy, and sh- and show you what's good. But I don't know. But maybe I'm right, though, you know? <laughs> I could really see me being right. And Leo, too, in, in this interview I was reading, you know, was talking about Netflix and the proliferation of internet movies and streaming and all these things and an aspect of it that he kind of championed is that you know these new models do allow for cool chances to be taken breaking from the form you know trying things that are interesting and fresh and I think can really give a very very cool viewing experience in ways that haven't been done before but on the converse you know, he said a lot of trash is getting made. And that's true. Like, how many garbage movies are there that are just on Netflix? Like, it can seem kind of cool. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a Netflix show. I want to get my movie on Netflix. But there's a lot of fucking bullshit on Netflix. <laughs> that's not worth watching. That's not worth its salt, you know. And then you just kind of watch it. And you're like, oh, I don't really want to watch anymore. It's just like content for content's sake. Almost, it feels like. But I've heard stories of that, like people who, you know, they'll just produce a bunch of fucking garbage just to have a bunch of credits on their, on their IMDBs and their names. And if you can get really good at that, then I don't know. To me though, I said, what, why would you want that? I don't know. Okay. You're, you're, you have connections now. Okay. You have, you look like you've done stuff and maybe people will give you a chance, but then they watch the work and it's fucking trash. Just me personally, I would just rather at least try to put out good stuff. It seems kind of crazy to me that people just put out bad stuff on purpose, but I guess different strokes for different folks, huh? But I mean, Leo is talking about how people who are like Quentin Tarantino, who really have a passion for making a movie, like there's that famous legend, right? That after he does a take, he'll be like, all right, let's do another take. Why? And the whole cast and crew has to go, because we love making movies. And I think that's cool, you know, to just really relish that experience, to savor it, to to cherish that you get to make a movie. And I can, obviously, I, I don't really know what the fuck is going on in the industry right now. I'm not in it. I'm not working with people. But the fact that Leo is saying that, you know, that directors, filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino are an endangered species, I think that's so cool. That's such a cool statement. And I, and I totally can believe that like Tarantino Scorsese 
These motherfuckers that are really getting in there doing the neat, the nitty gritty, doing the nitty gritty of the filmmaking, <laughs> and not just trying to like cash in or whatever, or just like pump things out or, or or use it. Or you know what? You know what I think the thing is too, because I have been thinking about that idea so much, right? Like using things as an as an ends rather than as a means to an end. I feel like there's a lot of people who treat projects as like a means to an end. Like, oh, if I do this, then maybe I'll get to do that. Or if this, maybe this will lead to that. Versus really just trying to make the product as phenomenal as it can be. Which I think Quentin Tarantino always tries to do. I think it's very much what's in his mind. And now he's talking about the 10th movie. He's probably going to do like an outright horror film. And it's always been a dream of mine, you know, to, to work to be in a Tarantino film. Like, I'm jealous of Austin Butler. I'm jealous of Austin Butler that he got to be, uh, you know, in the movie. Like, good for Austin Butler. Well, a lot of people. Dakota Fanning, the girl who's, like, super young. That's the hippie chick that I don't know I don't know her name. Margot Robbie was in it, but I, I almost feel bad for her. <laughs> she did, like, nothing in the movie of Sharon Tate. Ah, I don't want to spoil it too much, but actually, I don't give a fuck. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the movie, why are you even here? <laughs> just kidding no um no but spoiler alert sharon tate all basically all she does is like dance and watch movies and stuff yeah and monica and i were talking about like margot robbie's uh american accent isn't that good in uh once upon a time in hollywood dare i even say it was shit <laughs> But I guess they were okay with it. They're like, oh yeah, that's fine. Because Monica brought it up and I can totally hear what she was talking about. Like Aussies, there's a certain pattern to the way they speak, a certain placement, a certain lilt. And you could hear that under Margot Robbie's attempts to do her American accent. And Monica's told me too that, you know, Margot Robbie even admitted like for Wolf of Wall Street doing that, you know, that kind of more East Coast. I don't know if it was Boston, New York, I fucking forget. But, you know, that was easier for her to do because... Aussie accents are non-rotic like they don't have the R's so being able to make that switch was was easier than doing like a general American like the, the way I sound well I mean I, I I do have general American but I also kind of tend towards California to an extent um but just getting those R's right is hard for motherfuckers baby but for me just watching Margot Robbie it felt like it didn't feel like she was Sharon Tate and she was speaking as a person. It felt like she had listened and watched videos of Sharon Tate's voice. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to show Sharon Tate. This is Sharon Tate. So it felt more like a comment to me than actually acting, you know, than actually being her. Or here, I'll, I'll, I'll clean up my language because obviously you can't be Sharon Tate than actually being able to see the world as Sharon Tate saw the world, as, um, I guess, intuitively, naturally, um, flowingly as possible. It, like, it seemed like Margot Robbie wasn't quite there where, you know, you ideally want to be. In the way that Leo and Brad were, like, Leo and Brad gave fucking outstanding performances and this was actually one of monica's complaints too is like she just felt like the acting from almost everybody else was shit and i yeah like there was a lot of acting that i was like it almost felt 
caricature-ish and or cartoon like the fucking bruce lee like people are all critical of the bruce lee scene and then quite like you know like oh he wouldn't have said that he wasn't arrogant oh what the fuck this stunt man is gonna you know be able to take him out and then Quentin Tarantino's like, well, he was kind of an arrogant, arrogant guy. He did say this stuff and whatever. Brad Pitt's character is supposed to be the kind of guy who was like fucking special ops. And, you know, if he was in the fucking jungles, this is what Quentin Tarantino said. You know, if, if Bruce Lee fought his character in a martial arts tournament, then, you know, Brad Pitt's character would get fucking killed. But if Brad, if Brad Pitt's character fought Bruce Lee like in a jungle in the Philippines, then Brad Pitt's character would kill Bruce Lee you know, according to Quentin Tarantino, but all that stuff aside, like, I just fucking thought Mike Moe's performance was fucking ass, I also thought he was, like, it was almost like an SNL caricature of Bruce Lee, and his accent, like, he kept on having the exact same pattern of inflection, like, you have to be like water, you got to understand, oh, Muhammad Ali, oh, Bruce Lee, I work on, oh, working to fight, like, oh, man, it was it was hard to watch, honestly. It was hard to watch, man. <laughs> and I'm half Filipino, and Monica is, well, she's a mix of Asian. Like, it's mostly Filipino, but she's, like, also Malaysian and a little bit Chinese. But basically what I'm saying is we're Asian. And even we're, like, oh, my God, watching Bruce Lee, like, we were, like, this is why Asians are not fucking progressing in Hollywood. <laughs> Because the motherfuckers that are getting a chance are fucking ass and fucking suck and are not being fucking awesome actors. And this is not true all the time, of course. There are fucking Asian actors who give good performances. I don't know. I haven't seen any recent. Actually, no, I fucking love Randall Park. I think Randall Park gives fucking great performances. Oh, but like in Crazy Rich Asians, fucking. Oh, I don't even want to get started. Oh, anyway. I'll talk about it some other time. Once upon a time in Hollywood right now, baby. But I mean, just the culture of L.A. then and what Tarantino was exploring, right? Like just that that chance that there's like a shot that the thing you're going to make now is going to rise above the noise and the rejection and the not being noticed that is like endemic in Hollywood, you know, or, or maybe even the, the standard, you know, that you don't fucking matter. No one fucking cares until you do and they do and you just never know what the project is going to be and so you keep trying like hoping this thing you're working on is is going to be the one but there really is like a fucking je ne sais quoi and like um i feel like so many things have to align i mean acting wise script wise you know talent wise timing wise in the culture production wise uh marketing wise how it connects with people wise and it's so unpredictable, like sometimes things really resonate, and you're like, what the fuck, like, that's so bad, or this person is so whatever, why is it this happening? And then other times the thing becomes massive, and you're like, oh, I get it, oh, I get it. And you don't know, too, you know, you don't know when you're in that audition, I mean, that's what they, they you know, Tarantino and DiCaprio and Pitt were talking about it, like, it's just, you know, you're doing three, four, five auditions a week, and one of them is for the role that you're going to end up booking that's going to change your life. And you have no idea. Like, it just feels like another day at the office. That's the magic of Hollywood, you know? It does just pop off like that. And something, too, that, um, I mean, they, they, they were talking about is um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood takes place over three days. And so the first two days are like, you know, one day, then, then day right after. 
and then it jumps six months later, and then it's the third day. But it was funny because um, DiCaprio was like, oh, yeah, like I've never done a movie that takes place over a few days. And then Tarantino goes, well, isn't Titanic over over a few days? And DiCaprio was just like, true. <laughs> That's so funny to me. I don't know why. The fucking low-key Tarantino was just fucking roasting DiCaprio for being in Titanic. Fucking iconic, man. Fucking iconic. But yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, though, like me personally, I did really enjoy it. I understand why people don't. And Monica definitely enjoyed it less than I did. Like, because, I mean, she's a huge Tarantino fan, too. Like, Pulp Fiction. She fucking adores Pulp Fiction. And we both talk about how fucking great was Inglorious Bastards, you know? And we enjoyed Django. We don't really talk about The Hateful Eight, but we don't need to, you know? <laughs> But it's like, and I mean, I, I was reading reviews too after I saw the movie, and I get what people are saying, like, oh, it's like, it's plotless. But I don't think it's necessarily plotless. I feel like there is that emotional arc of, you know, you are seeing this kind of midlife crisis of Leo DiCaprio, or of his character, of just, you know, he, he had this certain amount of success, and he's just been kind of coasting along, just kind of riding for a while, and he has, you know, an Al Pacino's character kind of makes him realize that, hey, you know, are you just going to be this and just kind of fade out? Or do you want to sort of turn it around and become this next, you know, this next level of thing? Is that possible? And he starts doubting his ability to do it. And there's amazing moments like where you like, I mean, like the scene where fucking Leo, you know, has the girl hostage. And then like he she's like, that's the best acting I've ever seen in my life. And he's so emotional, like, oh, man, like he killed it. You really feel for Leo. You're like, fuck yeah, man. Like, this guy is an actor, baby. This guy is an actor. But at the same time, there are a lot of scenes that aren't necessarily having anything to do with that. You know, that are just kind of exploring Brad Pitt's side or just kind of like little time capsules of the period. And so I get that. People like, you know, of course, Tarantino is known for that self-indulgence. And the way the self-indulgence manifests in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is just kind of like this trip down memory lane. Like, oh, look at these are the kinds of movies. Like, there are certain scenes that are that are reenactments of, a, you know, Leo's character, you know, in these older movies. And so they're stylized and there's things going on. And, I mean, I, obviously, like, I'm an actor. I love acting. So I, I really enjoyed those scenes. But I could easily see how, um, you know, that an average viewer or or just even someone who doesn't, even someone who, like, let's say you, you are in Hollywood or, or you are an artist, but you're just not particularly fond of, you know, just behind the scenes, little in-jokes or, or, or little details of, you know what, you know what I'll, I'll use to kind of contextualize this is, I, I forgot where I saw this quote recently, but it's like, the better a piece of art is, like, the more life it has in it. Like, when we recognize so many moments of, like, that's real life, that's real life, that's real life. And we're like, oh, wow, that's so good. But because, you know, the, the filming of these movies in the late 60s is not something that I think most people can relate to or even have an appreciation of, because obviously I can't relate to it. I haven't done that. 
but I just appreciate, you know, just showing what it's like behind the camera when you're filming the scene, when you're doing the things, and I mean the the struggle to to do line, you know, like to, to get his lines right. Like I care about that stuff. I enjoyed watching it. I felt it, but I can also very easily understand why a, a majority of people wouldn't. Like, what the fuck? Like, what? What's? Why are we watching this right now? Like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Because I feel like what the movie does really well is like it, it's such a time capsule and it really, I mean, the set design is incredible, just the moods it evokes. I mean, Tarantino talked about, you know, the, I think it was in 1969, but just walking down Hollywood Boulevard with his mom and, you know, she, her hand was holding his so tightly and she didn't want to let him go because it was dangerous, but it was also so alive like, Hollywood Boulevard really had so much life. Like, the people of L.A. were there. You know, just this kind of miasma. Is that even a word? This fucking... Just a, a, a various assortment of characters. And then, uh, you know, then Holly, and it, right after that, Hollywood became something else. And then now it's like... It's just like a tourist location now, you know, and... Of uh, the people who live in LA don't often go to Hollywood Boulevard, you know, it's it's more of a rare thing that you that you end up there. But back then, like that was like the place to be, you know. And so he like really kept like there's so many advertisements, there's so many, you know, like radio spots, sounds, things that are just so like oh that's that time, that's that time period. Here it is. So it's like a time capsule in that way. And the character building is really cool. Like I think there's a lot of. A rich character building but I was even thinking like watching it like honestly like I wouldn't enjoy as an actor playing any of the roles except for Leo and Brad well I guess maybe Al Pacino but a lot of the ones too like a lot of people are just there just a little bit actually the flower child girl what is it pussycat that's a good role but you know but a, a lot of the roles are just kind of like yeah you know like, I just didn't really care for them, and they didn't really seem like they were fun or, or that fleshed out. But but the, the character building for Leo and Brad's characters is, like, out of this world, you know? And just, like, the time you spend with them. And, and they both act so well in it. Like, they're both giving fucking top-notch, superb performances. And it's really cool just to be with them, you know, as they think on those emotional journeys, and something Monica said too is like they're just so fucking like right from the top of the movie they're so natural, and they've just been doing this for so long and they've been at the top for so long and they're so good and when do you get a chance to see Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio in a movie together, you know like they're just like they're inc they're incredible, you know their performances are, are are very 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 enjoyable in that movie, yeah, yeah so I guess it's like mm, you know I. I I understand why certain people think it's genius. And here's the thing, right? Tarantino, he's always known for, like, he does, like, he does what he wants to do. You know, he sets out to do a very specific thing, and he knows what he wants. And so, you know, he's going to execute his vision, and, you know, using his fucking encyclopedic knowledge of film history... And sometimes you're going to really appreciate that and be like, wow, that's amazing what he did. Other times it's not going to resonate with you, you know? 
And like, there definitely is still like a clear emotional journey and emotional arc, but it does kind of meander at times. It does take detours, you know, to be self-indulgent and to show the time and the, and the capsule of Hollywood. But to me, I'm like comforted in the, in the fact that I, I know that Tarantino is so knowledgeable that I know he knows exactly what he's doing. And so that allows me to like, that, that gives me a certain amount of trust in what's happening. I'm like, oh, okay, I can enjoy this. I can watch it. Versus if it was like a novice filmmaker doing the same stuff, I might be like, what the fuck is this person doing? You know, and it's true. Like, it's just because I am a fanboy, because I am a stan, I definitely am more forgiving, more appreciative of things than I would be if it wasn't Tarantino. But I also feel like he does what he sets out to do really well. And it's also interesting, too, just like the way the scenes are so like that freaking there's a casino with Brad Pitt at the Manson Ranch. And it feels like a horror movie. It feels like a thriller. And it was it was one of the best scenes in the movie. And I like just, it's just so tense. And it makes sense to me why Tarantino was saying his 10th and final film is going to be like an all-out horror. And I was like, oh, man, I bet that'll be great. I bet that'll be great. But yeah, but I mean, like the, I guess like the intersecting of the Manson storyline, it can kind of feel a little like random or like a little forced where it's just like, because like I feel like, right, the, like the, the, the essence, like the nugget in there is... You know, he was just fascinated with, you know, the way fame, you know, th- this hierarchy, the way it worked. I mean, here's Brad Pitt representing the people who kind of slog away for Hollywood their whole lives and don't get rewarded. Leo's character, who's like just almost, almost there, but not quite there. Enjoying a good amount of success, but he's still not quite where he wants to be. And then there's Sharon Tate, who is like on top of the world and just A-list and just living it up. But at the same time, still needs validation from audiences and understands how fleeting and ephemeral it is. And then Charles Manson, who, you know, did go there to become famous as a musician and kind of wasn't able to and, you know, had resentment and blame for that. And in this act of, well, historically, in this act of brutality and viciousness and just inhuman violence, became more famous than all three of them, you know, this thing they'd been working for, for so long, he like upended the fame and, you know, but through murder. And when we think about Sharon Tate now, you know, like our generation, or if you're younger and anyone who was, you know, after that time, you know, uh, she's pretty much more well known for her murder than for the work, you know, than, than for the movies that she created, which I think is a fucking trip to think about. Like, it is a whole, whole fucked up thing. But I mean, ugh. I mean, I've already spoiled a good amount of the, of the movie. I don't want to spoil, like, the end end. Because I think it is so cool to to see it in theaters. You know? Damn, do I want to talk about it, actually? Yeah, you know what? I think for the most... I, I, I think I've pretty much talked about everything I think about the movie. And the time period. And what he's trying to do. And what other people think about it. And how I feel about it. Actually, you know what? Before I get into that ending part... I would say that my overall estimation of it right now is like, I feel like I need time to process this because it is, because I think it is such a novel experience. Like I do think it's going to have a a unique place in cinematic history. Like it doesn't hit you 
the way Pulp Fiction did. It doesn't grip you moment to moment and feel like, wow, what a fucking masterpiece in that same way. But in reflection of it, I do think it's a masterpiece in and of itself. And just because it is such a unique idea, it is such a rare opportunity, it is such a cool thing that Tarantino has done that I don't think anybody's done before, you know, and, and maybe won't won't try to do like it is like just to capture that moment and just to make that comment on the fame and the different kind of layers of it and what does the, the Manson family's story with Sharon Tate's story mean in relation to, you know, what these other people are, are striving for, what they're going for. And then the fact that Hollywood, you know, it, it changes so radically right after that and it's still changing. Mm. I don't know. It, it's just so much. It, it just gave me a lot to think about that I think is so rich and and mealy, you know, which I really, really appreciate. And then I also, again, you know, how cool is it that Leo and Brad are together giving top-notch performances? Like, I really appreciate that. Like, I definitely, I enjoy the movie very, very much, you know? Like, the more recent, like, I, honestly, I didn't enjoy Hateful Eight that much, but between Django and Glorious Bastards and now this, I really enjoyed all three movies a lot. In, for different reasons in different ways and as of right now i i do think once upon a time in hollywood is a masterpiece in its own right and while there are you know aspects of it that i wasn't crazy about there was so much that i thought really really worked and i really really had a great viewing experience watching it you know it felt real it felt human you know even the times where it felt a little less than that a little zany a little wacky a little weird it was still just so much fun like, I feel like in, in terms of how rare and unique the movie is, I want to give it like a, almost like a 10 out of 10. But there's also part of me that wants to give it a 9 out of 10. But then in terms of like, just the arc and the cleanness of it and the experience, I also, part of me also wants to give it an 8 out of 10. But I don't, there's no part of me that wants to give it less than an 8 out of 10. Because I feel like, yeah, I mean, that, that's just like the amount I enjoyed it though. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, but... There are movies that I think are less important, less unique, less cool, less vital that I would give an 8 out of 10, you know? Like, this is Tarantino's ninth film. Like, it's gonna, it's gonna live for a long time. No, you know what? It's just such its own thing. It's just such its own unique experience. I'm gonna give it a 10 out of 10. I don't even care. I'm doing it. I'm saying it. There you go. And after everything I've, I've discussed about it, you know, you, hopefully you can un understand perfectly well why I, uh, why I did that. But now that I've done that, you know, extreme spoiler alert, I'll just talk about the, the very end of it. Because, you know, he did talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is a fairy tale. What ends up happening is, and if you don't want the ending spoiled, like, stop listening. I'll give you five seconds. Oh, four, three, two, one. Okay, um, Charles Manson, uh, like, the, they end up, they end up getting murdered. And they don't even go to Sharon Tate's house. They go to Leo's character's house. And then Brad Pitt and Leo, and mostly Brad Pitt, they kill him in like an amazingly hilarious, violent sequence. And Sharon Tate invites Leo up. And there, there's this kind of, you know, fairy tale ending with the music and with the pan out. And it feels like, oh my gosh, maybe Leo's character is going to achieve that next level of fame now that next level of next level of stardom maybe overcoming this horrific 
violent or the avoidance of this violent horrific act being perpetrated on them you know that they, they made it through the storm and maybe now things are going to be you know happy ever after which is just a trip you know and it's just so funny to me because like i mean i don't i don't know if the movies of like the late 60s were like that where they had like the happy endings and like the heroes riding off into the sunset maybe they did but obviously they did before that and so to take all this grittiness and this realness and to be playing with that and having the tension of that throughout the whole movie and then to just pull that like heroes riding off into the sunset taking a liberty with the historical nature of the film i think is a is a really interesting statement on you know what what hollywood is Mm, there we go what hollywood is because there you go like you 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 think it's you know gonna be this certain way and then he's like nope here's the happily ever after ending instead and it's like oh that's so hollywood that's so hollywood and you know what that that, that's right in that statement i just said i think is the fucking thing of the movie there are so many moments that are like oh that's so hollywood and they're also different and they're also contrasting and how do they coexist together yet they are all hollywood it's so complicated the darkness the grittiness the despair the you know never getting anywhere the being used the being right on the cusp the being at the top it's all so hollywood and it's all it's hard to make sense of it all oh man the more i talk about it the more i love it how cool how cool is that how fucking cool is that man yeah so you know you gotta um check it out (laughs) wow wow you know just that's it honestly i don't think i have anything more to say about it on on that thought i'm gonna i'm gonna leave you i'm gonna go to sleep because it's uh 12 30 in the morning now but hey thanks for listening thanks for being here once upon a time in hollywood if you have not checked it out go check it out uh not funny funny guy on youtube twitter instagram jeremy you know uh still working on stuff still working on sketches i'll still be podcasting you know see ya and thanks for being i think i just said thanks for being here hey have a great week and uh you know feel free to message me about the movie if you want to talk about the movie i'm down you know i'm down hopefully this has in some way enriched your experience of of the film but but hey thank you you know Thank you so much for your time, and uh, I bid you adieu.